Lance, thank you for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for taking the time today. Of course. Um, now, before we get started, please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Lance Lehman. Uh, I'm a um, uh, senior wealth manager, a senior wealth advisor at a firm called Alternative Wealth. Uh, we're a remote first um, uh, fee base or fee only advisory firm that uh, does discretionary money management and uh, holistic wealth planning. But that sounds amazing. Can you tell me, uh, tell me a bit more about your business? How long have you been in the industry for? And, you know, sort of how did you get started? Sure. Yeah, I started uh, over 20 years ago uh, on the brokerage side of the world uh, and uh, worked in that arena for a couple different uh, number of different years for a couple different companies. Uh, and then uh, found my way and migrated over into the RIA space in 2007 uh, and worked for a larger discretionary manager for many years. Uh, and then recently made the change to a, a holistic wealth advisory firm. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, my background is in uh, in uh, uh, psychology and, like I said, comprehensive wealth management for our clients and helping them, you know, achieve whatever the goals are for, for their money. That sounds amazing. So you probably use your degree a lot in order to deal with some of your clients and make sure they're getting on the right path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shockingly so. You know, if I were able to have a conversation with my former, uh, my myself um, 20 some years ago, 25 years ago, I would have never imagined that I would have been into finance or one. And number two, um, I was often kind of uh, uh, chastised by friends and colleagues for having a degree in psychology. Uh, <laughs> what, what value will that be? And I can assure you that in, in our uh, business, uh, that is every bit as important as any mathematical calculation you might be able to come up with. Because you're right, you're dealing with one of the most emotional uh, matters in people's lives, which is their wealth and their well-being. Uh, and so, yeah, helping clients, you know, navigate from their, from their biases as well as avoiding my own. Uh, we all are human. We all have biases. Uh, it's incredibly powerful to be able to identify them. Um, and we're always a work in progress. So I try to remember that. So. Yeah. Well, that's amazing because I feel like a lot of the times the emotional aspect of the business mm -hmm. uh, isn't given enough credit. It's not looked at as closely as, let's say, asset allocation, right? Or, you know, being tactical with your cash. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that, uh, as biased as I may be on that, but I, I can assure you from having uh, having worked with clients for over 20 years and gone through the, the financial crisis in 08, 09, uh, and even in uh, the pandemic, uh, yeah, emotions uh, emotions rule is what I would say, uh, because it's not for lack of intellect. Uh, clients are incredibly smart. They come from varied backgrounds, but they're all human. And when things aren't going the way that they anticipated or expect, uh, it can be very challenging for them to uh, stay committed to their plan. I would say just as equally challenging uh, when things are going exceedingly well or exceeding their plan. Uh, oftentimes, you're, you're dealing with the other side of that coin where they feel maybe a little too confident uh, and maybe start to get a little uh, too aggressive in their portfolios. So, yeah, it's it's always a balancing act, helping clients uh, keep keep uh, keep even keeled on that. So. Right. Well, you mentioned the pandemic. How was the pandemic for you and your team? What were some of the big challenges that you guys were faced with? That's a, a great question. It's it's definitely changed the industry. Uh, it certainly changed the way that I approach my my uh, my work and the way, the way I approach uh, clients and so forth. Um, because I think it's just changed the world. Uh, at the time, uh, I was with a, a different firm, and what I learned from going through that period was that many firms were wildly unprepared uh, for any type of uh, event as such. We all recognize the scale of it was unprecedented. However, uh, what was fascinating to me is to see how 
how some firms really adapted and became better and quicker and more nimble with just recognizing that the landscape had changed. You know, the trying to trying to use the old paradigm, if you will, of uh, forcing people to come into an office was obviously a non-starter because of the pandemic and because of COVID. Uh, yet you still had firms that were just just committed to to seeing that angle through, not recognizing that uh, the other opportunities that I would say are out there is that uh, like one of the reasons I'm with uh, Alternative Wealth uh, is because it's a remote first company. Uh, it's been built from the ground up to be completely flexible and mobile. I happen to call Florida home, uh, but I work with clients all over the country and I meet with clients all over the country. I'm here in San Diego. I can continue to do my job uh, pretty much from anywhere in the world that I can access uh, access uh, information and access uh, communication techniques with clients. So I would uh, I would say that it, that is to me the biggest change is that you if you, when you recognize the need to adapt and be able to communicate differently with clients than perhaps you had in the past, and, and conversely, clients also uh, adapted. Uh, you know, if you would have said to somebody, "We're going to do a video call," um, you know, five years ago that would have been in many cases no we, we just want to talk on the phone or we want to meet in person but now of course everybody's pretty well versed in zoom or google meet or whatever mm-hmm. whatever version they might happen to use and they seem to accommodate some from some cases they actually like it better uh, than, uh, than you know, maybe a little too casual sometimes <laughs> but the point being is that it's definitely changed the industry and i think that those aren't those that aren't adapting to it are, are just destined to uh, destined to no longer be so yeah, well, adoption is always important, no matter what industry you're in. You know, it's uh, even it's even part of nature. You, you either adapt, or you know, unfortunately, you don't survive. Now, I so this is actually something really interesting that, that I learned just the other day, and it uh, it's that apparently Wi-Fi is more uh, stable than cellular. So people in remote areas who you couldn't get a hold of before because they were using cellular, a landline. You can get a hold of them much more easily because Wi-Fi is a lot more stable, and I I did not know that, and that was you know a yep. big surprise to me. Yeah, it, I think it surprised many people, but they, they become to your point uh, when people adapt in some whether it be by choice or by by circumstance, uh, oftentimes new opportunities emerge, and I think that's a great example. Whereas you know Wi-Fi was almost I can think of not too many years ago where it was kind of thought of well you know if a, a little cafe had Wi-Fi, people kind of huddle around it. Now it's much more pervasive in most of your developed areas. And even as you said, rural areas are in some ways just leapfrogging past worrying about, you know, having cellular or what have you, because Wi-Fi is so much more stable and, you know, wider, wider information to carry on it. So that's a fantastic example of adding that accessibility. And, and to your point, you know, working with clients who often comes from more rural parts of, of the country, uh, you know, technology uh, was often um, a laggard for them, whether it be, you know, high speed internet, it's always, uh, always slower to adopt and so forth. So I think in some ways the pandemic forced people to adapt quicker and adopt it. And they realized like they have greater access to information than they, than they had before. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Now I, I, you did mention earlier on that you are, you provide holistic services Mm -hmm. to your clients. Uh, Can you tell me a bit more about that? What do you mean by holistic? What are you including in that? Sure, sure. Uh, um, holistic, in our view, is, is uh, being totally comprehensive, not just I mean, <clears throat> portfolio management is, is obviously critical for what we do with our clients and for our clients. But that is really becoming, and I, I would argue, can be talk about ev- evolution. I would argue that's becoming more of a table stakes that most of every advisor out there is going to be offering investment management of some form or fashion. Holistic is looking at their, their comprehensive view from the tax planning aspect, from risk planning, uh, as well as, you know, financial planning, retirement, all, all that together and, and finding ways that um, oftentimes are overlooked by many, many advisors because they're so 
focused on a singular topic, whether it be, you know, uh, risk planning, whether it be only uh, portfolio management. So we look at it from the, from the broad view and all the way down of everything that a client might encounter in uh, their lives uh, to, um, to, gen to generate their wealth as well as protect it. That's an area that we, uh, we specialize in and looking at it as well as uh, leveraging the beauty of alternative investments, which uh, many advisors are still some sh somewhat shy of. Uh, we think that there's another great opportunity for clients to, to participate in the benefits. Uh, 2022 really demonstrated that in spades uh, with stocks and bonds. In theory, you're supposed to have you know uh, low correlation or negative correlation, depending on which ones you're looking at. Not always the case. And it's typically when the time when you need it the most. You need that diversification benefit. And in periods of financial stress, oftentimes they fail, right? I mean, 2022 wasn't unique in that. You saw that you can see that through history when there's periods of financial stress, economic stress, that the correlations usually start to uh, diminish greatly where alternatives have that uh, ability to have either low or in some cases negative correlations with both stocks and bonds. It's a fantastic diversification tool that I think a lot of, a lot of advisors are perhaps overlooking. Although many in today's conference, um, or this weekend's conference, they're certainly looking to take advantage of it. But I'm finding again and again that um, uh, even clients, because it's new, it's kind of an early adoption to your point earlier about adapting or not surviving. It's another tool that uh, clients can take full advantage of to help, help bulletproof their, uh, their portfolio. Definitely. And I actually had a very interesting conversation uh, with Daniil from Cerulli Associates. And uh, he is in the alternative investment space. And he was speaking about all the innovation that's occurring, yeah. especially when it comes to providing more liquidity, because mm -hmm. that was one of the traditional issues, right? Correct. One, it was only for like a select group of people, accredited investors. And two, you had liquidity issues. There were lock-in periods. You know, sometimes you were lucky if you could redeem once a year, Correct. right? Yeah, that is uh, the, the the whole theme here. Like your your point is uh, evolution and adopt adapting rather, and I agree with that. I mean, you've seen effectively the democratization of the alternative space through the use of integral funds, and of course, there's a whole menu of a large number of um, uh, alternative investments uh, that you can buy, purchase or invest in directly. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Uh, having that diversification and uh, the, one of the risks that people uh, were concerned with is the liquidity. And the flip side of that that I often uh, mention is that, well, there's a reason they call it the illiquidity premium is that you should, as an investor, you know, should be deriving a premium because of that illiquidity feature. But it's precisely because of that illiquidity that alternatives in many cases are able to generate um, superior returns as well because the money is is there for an extended period. But but your point is is well taken is that uh, it is a uh, uh, ongoing concern by many is like, well, I can't get my money out. Interestingly enough, they don't often look at the fact that being able to access their typical stock or bond that they can sell at a moment's notice that are fully liquid, that comes with a cost. Uh, and that liquidity cost, that cost is that lower return potential. So. Yeah, I, I think that liquidity pre premium is something that a lot of people overlook. Mm -hmm. It's sort of taken for granted. Oh, you know what? I should just be able to uh, liquidate any position that exactly. I, as I see fit. So I uh, completely agree with you on that point. Now, we do have our Voice of the Advisor survey out in market. And since you mentioned holistic uh, services, I'm curious to get your take. So we've seen that over the years, as we've been doing the survey, there's been an uptick in those that are leading with financial planning, financial wellness. And financial wellness, of course, being an umbrella term that includes all the other things that you mentioned, such as tax planning, debt management, uh, elder care mm -hmm. is becoming a lot more prominent now yep. as well. Uh, now, do you or does your uh, group, I would say, lead with financial planning, financial wellness services in order to uh, get a better understanding of the client and then 
go from there to figure out what their needs are and how you meet them. Ideally, that's precisely the, the, the goal is to uh, approach approach our clients and our prospective clients, hopefully future clients in that, that uh, comprehensive financial planning approach, um, because we view it's just a much better way to uh, work with our clients and help them be better. Right. Uh, and again, portfolio is certainly critical to their long term success. But if you're if you're focusing exclusively on the portfolio, which many advisors still do, uh, which is but it's very fascinating to me. Uh, however, perhaps you overlooked the fact that the client um, um, hasn't updated their estate documents in 15 mm -hmm. years. Uh, and they're left in a situation where one of them unexpectedly passes on. That is not the position you want to be in as a financial planner, right? You're a financial advisor, right? You, you should be looking at all of those things. And, and these conferences, again, help reinforce the, the value of that. But I think that's another, to your point earlier about the evolution of our business, is that you're seeing this migration uh, from, you know, from the broker to the RIA space. And I would even argue the next uh, next migration is going to be in a differentiator, whether you're being comprehensive or you're simply a portfolio manager. Uh, and a lot of that's going to take time, but it's also going to take some uh, some ongoing education with the overall investing public to really understand the distinct difference between those two. Right. And again, there's nothing wrong with portfolio management. It's a valuable and important component. But frankly, clients are just demanding more. They're demanding more capabilities, more services uh, from their advisors. And as you said earlier, you either adapt as an advisor to be able to be in front and provide those services, or you're probably not going to survive very long in this business. So, Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the other things that we noticed from our survey when it comes to hindrance of growth was it was, I believe number one was lack of time so far with the preliminary data that we have. And number two was compliance. Mm -hmm. Now um, I was in the industry myself. So hearing that compliance is a hurdle was not a surprise to me. <laughs> um, how are you seeing it? Like is compliance a major issue for you and your practice? Um, I think compliance is, is always uh, an important issue um, because we work in a heavily regulated industry uh, and with good, Good reason, and um, uh, we need to be very conscientious of how we're how we're presenting uh, information and being candid and transparent with everything, whether it be from your fees or to you know what how this particular investment functions. Uh, I, I look at it as a, an opportunity to embrace it, right? Uh, where many people kind of view it, I, I, I'm familiar with what you're referencing. That many people look at their compliance departments as kind of a, a business uh, business killing uh, end of their business, right? It, what do they call it? Business development uh, uh, destruction, business destruction rather. I see it a little bit differently. I, I've never had an issue with you know playing uh, with or playing within coloring within the lines, as my my niece would say, because <laughs> uh, I think it's critically important. If you're if you have running into those issues, uh, it can become a burden when the regulations change as frequently as they have over recent years, uh, particularly with different uh, differentiators. But there again, you know, it's important to make sure that we're being at the end of the day, the, the rules and regulations are designed um, not always perfect, right? Nothing is. They're designed with the client's best interest in mind, uh, and I think sometimes advisors lose sight of that about who the regulations are there to there to serve. It's not to serve the advisors; it's there to protect the the investing public. Right? Uh, and I think that's a, a distinct difference that sometimes investors get a little too wrapped up in their own business and looking at it as like this is stalling or slowing down me from being able to continue to work with more clients or work with uh, different clients. Uh, compliance is uh, is one. It's non-negotiable, right? If you want to work in a heavily regulated industry, so you either have to embrace it um, or you spend um, an inordinate amount of your time fighting it, which is uh, not a productive way to go go through your business either, right? You, 
find ways to make it easier. I mean, for example, with our firm, uh, we, we do everything digitally. There's no wet signatures. Uh, and that uh, we found that to be a great way to help make sure that it's easier for the client, mm -hmm. number one. And then, of course, it also abides and com is compliant with uh, the rules and regulations. So it's a fantastic way to make sure, uh, for example, like our client relationship summary, the CRS, that's embedded in every one of our email links. Uh, so it's right there. It's available for the client. Uh, you know, they don't have to go looking for it or hunting. It's right there front, front and center because, again, it's to protect the investing public. Right? That's the idea. Yeah, well, that's great. And it's actually really interesting because I've had a few conversations with a few different advisors at this conference. And a lot of them have a similar stance to you where, yes, you know, compliance is a burden. There's a lot going on there. Obviously, it can be very time consuming. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they're not very, very opposed to it as someone, let's say, 10 years ago might have been, right? Yeah. They, they realize that it is for ultimately for the investor safety and mm -hmm. client benefit. And they are willing to, to play ball, essentially, and make sure that they are doing things the correct way if they see a benefit for for their business and for their clients, right? Right. I, I agree with that. I think, I think we're... Sometimes it, to the, the people that are concerned about the ongoing compliance or ongoing burden, the uh, increasing burden of compliance, whether it be from a monetary cost, because it costs firm money to obviously comply, uh, and we have uh, obviously legal and compliance departments and, and so forth. Uh, but the, the point being is that uh, I think where most get there, at least in my experience, where the frustration, sometimes stress comes from when the rules aren't particularly clear or they're not being um, heard. As, a, as a, an example, that would be the, um, the recent changeover about the, uh, um, of the distinction between uh, the advisor, ER, advisor, OR. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something I don't think the regulators are, have um, maybe fleshed out as well as they could have or should have. Uh, but again, you have to understand it's that they're in an evolutionary process too. So it's a, uh, I think there's an opportunity there to help clarify that would would be more transparent to the investing public if they truly understood what a registered investment advisor is. Uh, just by having that name, uh, that that title difference uh, can make a big difference in uh, transparency as well. The industry is kind of fighting that in some degree, depending because there's different different um, uh, angles coming from that as well. But at the end of the day, I, I don't see any harm in that if you're, if you're just being transparent and clear about what you actually do and what you provide uh, versus trying to mimic uh, that term and maybe confuse the investing mm -hmm. public. That's where I think, you know, the regulators have a valid point saying, hey, we need people to be, you know, really understand who they're working with and whether they're offering advice on a fee only arrangement or if they're involved in a, in a commission for the, the product that they may be in placing. I think the industry overall could, could be a little bit better on that as well. But uh, again, we're all human. Everyone's trying to, you know, you like to think the best of people. So. Exactly. Now, speaking of clients, how have client expectations changed? Hmm. What have you been seeing in the past little while? Oh, uh, that is, uh, well, to carry on what we mentioned earlier. I think client expectations, albeit maybe a, a little slower in some ways, uh, has, has is certainly changing in the direction of migrating from, again, not just my, uh, my a wealth manager in the sense of, oh, this is my, my guy or gal that manages my portfolio. You can see that migration is whether they, they're effectively demanding more and more services from, <laughs> from their wealth advisors. And I look at those as an opportunity, if you can differentiate yourself and provide that, well, it's a fantastic way. Uh, it's a wonderful career to be involved in. Um, but, it, you know, 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago when I started uh, there, yesterday, there were fee, there fee based or fee only advisors out there. Certainly. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not that new, but it's certainly migrating in that direction where you're seeing more and more uh, moving away from the commission uh, product approach and more into a fee only arrangement. 
even that is uh, is changing as well. Uh, not some are you know you can see the price not price point excuse me the uh, structure of it being different too, where you know, I can see the day where advisors are maybe changing almost to like. Uh, Netflix, like a subscription service uh, that uh, there's some advisors already do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's the wonderful thing about this industry is it's very um, um, I think it's very evolutionary. He's constantly in flux uh, and uh, that with that comes opportunities, right, uh, that you can uh, help more and more people. Uh, and it's just a, like a great way to have it structured so that people benefit from what you're doing. That's I mean, a bit redundant. But if, you, if you're not if you're not there to help clients and be better at what they hire you to do, again, you're probably not going to be you know, very successful in, in whatever line of work you're in. So. Yeah, I completely agree with that. <clears throat> and I think it's interesting. There is within the financial industry, or I guess the wealth management space, it seems like client expectations are being set by players outside of the industry. So, you know, the examples that get mentioned all the time that we even spoke about at this conference have been Google, Netflix, Amazon, Amazon Prime, you know, especially where you're now used to getting your packages the next day. It's like, oh, I wanted this yesterday. It's here today. Or the fact that you log on to Amazon and it's giving you suggestions, right. right? Like I'm always amazed that I go onto Amazon and it seems to know what I want before I know what I wanted. <laughs> so it seems like because of this, clients also expect their advisors to be more proactive mm -hmm. you know come to me and tell me what i should be looking at before i come to you i completely agree i mean i was having a very similar conversation with um, with a colleague in recent days about the the differentiators and that you know in some some business excuse me some advisors are still working again with that old viewpoint if i would say and it's not an ageist thing it's just that their viewpoint is reactive mm -hmm. they wait for the client to come to them they wait for the client to come ask them about what should i do about x Everything is structured of a responsive nature, right? And I think that those advisors' days are probably probably pretty limited uh, because clients, to your point, that's not the experience they're having in other other aspects of their life, whether it be like an Amazon example, as you mentioned. So the advisors that are more proactive, are, again, and are quicker to adapt to that, are going to be in a better position uh, with their clients. And because it's always, it's always better to bring, not, it's not bringing a problem, but bringing out an opportunity to a client or addressing an issue that you may identify in front of a client uh, and bring that to their attention, uh, then have them bring it to you and ask for your response. Uh, you know, I also think to add to that, um, I think clients are becoming savvier because of the access mm -hmm. of information they have. So it's again, they often do come to you with different questions or ideas, uh, but the, the vast majority of them should be a kind of a push rather than a pull where the advisors that are staying on top and Michael Kitch just did a great job in his presentation earlier, earlier this week, where he talked about how advisors are structuring their business. And, and I thought that was uh, pretty spot on with that about the idea of like, you know, you need to be having a strategic plan of how you're interacting and engaging with your clients. Uh, and, uh, it, Again, a differentiator, I would argue that many of the advisory firms that are out there today probably won't be here in 10 years um, because of exactly what we're talking about. If, you, if you're not adapting to the, being much more proactive, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's not uh, it's not a uh, um, I don't even think it's really a choice. If you want to have a successful business in, in financial services, you need to be uh, proactive and bringing things to clients attention. Uh, and if you're not, well, then you're just you're making yourself open for for missed opportunities. So. Definitely. And, you know, I, it goes back to being able to keep up with the client, right? Because mm -hmm. you're serving them. So you need to be able to keep up with whatever their new demands and needs are. Um, now, you have a very holistic and mm -hmm. comprehensive 
business. So what are some of the best practices that, that your team utilizes in order to ensure that you are able to do all the things that you guys do? That is a uh, that is an ever ever uh, ever amounting challenge, and to your because it's ever always in flux. Um, yes. But uh, to your point, uh, best practices in our view would be uh, providing making things easy for clients. That's one of the one of the best ways we found one of our one of our hallmarks of anything we look to incorporate or change in in our uh, in our business. I mean, or our approach to clients, it's usually it's almost invariably done from the lens of like how can we make this simpler, cleaner, and easier for the client. Take away the you know, burdens, the hurdles, anything they may run into. So, for example, at, at providing them access to information that maybe they didn't necessarily ask for, but they might might find it interesting and enjoy, enjoyable, like about their financial overall wealth, uh, like you said, the digital documents, anything that, uh, and seeing this evolution in my career, I, I, you know, I can remember before that, you know, digital documents were almost thought of as like the, the third rail. I mean, they didn't want to, nobody wanted to touch a digital signature until they realized like, hey, this can actually be a, a, a much better thing for our clients, more convenient. Now people, they buy houses and real estate through DocuSign. It's a perfectly legitimate way to go. But that's just one example. But it's if you're looking at it from the lens of like, how can I make this cleaner and easier? Or if I were a client, how would I want my process or my experience to be? Uh, I think that's uh, one of the, uh, as simple as it might sound, one of the best practices a farm can have is saying, remember, to your point, who are you serving? You're serving your clients and make things easier for them. And they're going to be happier clients. And you know, research shows again and again that happier clients are, tend to be longer-term clients. Uh, so it's a it's a mutually beneficial arrangement in that way. So. Yeah, I, I would say there's a reason why everyone goes back to saying simplicity it can be perfection, right? Yeah. If you keep it simple and easy, it, it's going to go down very smoothly. So that that's perfect. Now, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. what are your expectations for 2023 and beyond? Uh, I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm an optimist by nature, so um, I'm very um, optimistic on it. Uh, yes, there's there's certainly some things that I wish were slightly different. Uh, the Fed's decision last uh, 12, 15 months have been less than impressive, uh, but I can't control them. All we can do is is uh, make make better decisions uh, for our clients. Uh, so I expect if you're talking about the market, I expect the market to uh, be doing just fine. Uh, you know, with with uh, ongoing indigestion, which is ever present. Uh, but uh, the bond markets are probably going to present some opportunities here or there because of interest rates likely looking to change direction, uh, albeit uh, maybe a bit more, a few more months down the road. But in terms of clients and the overall uh, economy, you know, I'm bullish is what I'd say. I think there's lots of opportunities, not only in, in our business, but uh, in the world overall. Uh, I think many people have a perhaps a little too jaded view of the world, a little too negative. And consuming their time and effort, focusing on all the negativity, and there there is out there that we were all realists, but they're missing out on other opportunities while they're super focused on the negative. I I tend to focus more on the what are the opportunities to help, and let's let's focus on those and help help our clients um, um, achieve what they want to achieve with the with their overall wealth. Well, that is one of the things that we have in similar lands is that I am also a perpetual optimist, <laughs> which sometimes gets me in a bit of trouble. But, you know, I believe that having a brighter outlook for the future mm-hmm. is always a better way. Yeah. It's a better life than, you know, being down in the dumps, as they say, or being overly negative about things. Yeah, yeah. if you're if, if, to be a, be a capitalist, as I am, a died-in-wall capitalist, uh, I think it's uh, required for you to be an optimist. Otherwise, you, you couldn't possibly be a capitalist. You couldn't yeah. believe that things are going to be better. Uh, so it's a... It's an easy trap to fall into, to your point, uh, because uh, uh, there's lots of negativity to, to focus on. Uh, but realizing that, hey, the world is uh, the world is so much better today than it was five years ago, and better than it was ten years before that, 
I mean, I can't think of anyone that would willingly um, and knowingly want to relocate to any point in the history, 100 years, 200 years ago. Um, the world is just so much better, and it's going to be even better five or 10 years down the road from now. So it's, a, it's a, the beauty of our, our species. We're constantly looking for better, and you have to be an optimist to do that. So. I absolutely agree with you on that one. Lance, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've learned a lot. Thank you for sitting and chatting with me. Thank you for your time and thank you for your, uh, your, your conversation here today as well. Yes, of course.